Welcome to Flip the Switch on Life podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Marie. I'm an embodiment life coach here to help you live an empowered and soulful life. I guide women towards self-healing to take back their power so that they can start living life by their own rules and embrace their true authenticity. This podcast is your go-to where I will be giving you all the tools and resources to start the process of self-healing, doing the deep inner work, and developing your spiritual wellness. There is so much power in embodying your true self, but we often allow fear and comfortability control our lives, keep us playing small, and settling for less than we deserve. By learning to rewire your subconscious, you will discover your truest and your highest self. You will learn how to take back control and flip the switch on your life. So thank you so much for listening. Now let's get into the episode. If you are ready for an episode to put your butt on fire and to really allow you to think bigger and go after your big scary dreams, this episode is for you. Ah, I just got off of an incredible conversation and um, it was all around how can we enjoy our lives while building ambitiously? How can we utilize altered states of consciousness to elevate our enjoyment and our performance in life and also how to move through the challenges that life gives us especially as ambitious high achievers and people who are just wanting more for their lives this conversation was just absolutely amazing i had a friend of mine nico on the podcast he has embarked on a journey of rediscovery venturing into various endeavors from running a gym in a castle to soaking up enriching experiences in bali and just delving deeper into personal growth with tantric practice and ayahuasca ceremonies he was once a famed professional fighter He held numerous titles, including a five-time Belgian, European, and vice world champion in Muay Thai. Nico was not just a powerhouse in the ring, but also a keen scholar, earning a master's in psychology and making contributions as a published researcher and assistant professor at the Free University of Brussels. So his his story was just absolutely incredible because at the peak of his career, he got a severe eye injury that threatened to strip away his identity as a world-class fighter. And he talks about the resiliency he had and how to he pivoted and how plant medicine gave him such a newfound experience and purpose. And when he started to dive deeper into those experiences, that path paved the way for his innovative venture, Perform With Pleasure. So he dives deeper into how pleasure is actually a number one pillar for us to have a more fulfilling life. And he is an executive coaching business dedicated to helping ambitious people achieve their goals without compromising their health, relationships, or joy in life. So as you can see, we talked about a plethora of of things and of experiences all coming back to how to find more fulfillment as an ambitious high achiever and getting to the next level in yourself. Hello, my beautiful humans, and welcome back to another week, another episode. I'm so excited to dive into all things around performance, building a business, and ultimately learning how to find fulfillment in yourself and in your life. 
And so I'm really excited to have Nico here with us today. And Nico, how are you today? He's call he's calling in from Colombia, which is just yes. amazing. <laughs> beautiful. I just uh, yesterday had some beautiful salsa dancing. I trained wow. jiu-jitsu this morning, six o'clock. I've been working with the view of the entire city and the mountains around. What can go wrong, you know, yeah. when you live like that? Oh my gosh. Um, and we were just kind of talking a little bit of my experience in Colombia and it just absolutely stunning the culture, the food, um, salsa dancing. I feel like every chance I got, I tried to dance somewhere <laughs> and learn Spanish along the way. But oh, that's yeah. beautiful. How long are you in Colombia for? Oh, probably until April. So I think probably going to stay like six months here and then six months Europe. And then it might be Portugal again or back to here. It will all depend a bit of how, because the economy is really bad. So I will see how it's evolving because yeah. Lisbon is fantastic too. I've been there uh, before. I've heard yeah. Lisbon is actually yeah. really amazing. My My goal for 2024, 2025 is to do like a backpacking trip in Europe for like at least three weeks. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to start traveling. Make more. it, make it, make it, make it three months. Like yeah. Months three months. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I'm already visualizing myself doing that. Um, but coming back to <laughs> this current moment, um, Nico, I'm so excited to have you on because, um, your journey has been very interesting and very inspiring in my, in my opinion. And so I'm really excited to kind of just dive deeper into, um, you know, what you've shared from, you know, a published well-being researcher and former assistant professor in methods in psychology. And you also were, um, you were a fighter in Muay Thai, Muay Thai, Muay Thai. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. Um, so, and then some things kind of happened that really kind of were like a big catalyst in your journey and kind of pivoted you a little bit. Um, but before we get into the aftermath of that, could you share a little bit of your background and, and who you are today? Yeah, so it all started when I was 14. I was a very strange little kid. Big energy, very dominant personality. Uh, but I had a hard time fitting in. Mm. So what did I do? I went into the library, and the first book I read was Mantak Chia's The Multi-Orgastic Man. And from there, I went into, into Jung, into Freud, into all kinds of psychology. But at the same time, uh, a friend of me said, Nico, why don't you come and train with us in, they call it Thai boxing, I'm like Thai boxing, boxing, boxing. I want to do something Eastern. So yeah, it's from Thailand, which is like in the East. I'm like, okay, I will come and, and take a look. And where were you and like located at this moment? Belgium, Belgium. Belgium, okay, okay. Around Antwerp. And so I walked in and they were just sparring and I fell in love with the sport. They were mm. going full contact because before I did Japanese jiu-jitsu for a while, I was doing more push-ups than anything else because I was too wild. Ah. So I didn't really like that. And so yeah. there I saw like this beautiful, beautiful uh, girl. She was the, the sister of uh, the trainer. And she did like a liver kick and there was like this 80-kilo guy that went down. I was like, oh, I You're like, know. I'm here. This is my, this is my jam. <laughs> yeah. So my father was very ill, so we didn't have that much money. So I bought a second hand gloves and shin pads. I started to train. After three months, I was fighting. And for the first 10 years, there was not a single week that I did not train. Mm. And so, yeah, I became Belgian champion in the youth, Benny Lux. Then I went to the professionals and I became 
three, four times Belgian champion there, then European and then vice world champion. Uh, and then I made the decision when I was really growing to to go to a Dutch team. But the problem is they won't add very Thai style, which is it's it's a different, a completely different game than the kickboxing. But they were in Japan. Japan is much more kickboxing oriented. So they want to attach my change my style. Long story short, uh my kickboxing career, I went against number one of the world. I lost. He mm. was fantastic. I'm still a fan. Yeah. But after that, at the six months, I did had no fight. So I was really frustrated because I was training three to six hours a day. So what did I do then? Then I started doing jiu-jitsu, so getting to MMA, mixed martial arts. Mm-hmm. But in Belgium and Europe, it was very small. I had to do jiu-jitsu there, wrestling there. I had to do boxing there. So I was driving all day. And it was after my, my academic career, actually. Uh, and then, uh, so I did that for several years. Then I was going to do the Ultimate Fighter. I had a job in upstate New York, in Ithaca beautiful also you know so i was really mm. looking forward to it and then i was probably and then i was gonna try to get like uh get my phd uh in cooperation with cornell you know mm. because they were doing research to uh attachment adult attachment theory and and, and well-being and that's the thing that i focus and your on background maybe. is in psychology yeah yeah i'm You're a psychologist yeah okay okay but then, you know, just before I went to the States, I you need a medical check. So I did it in Belgium because yeah, it's cheap. And all of a sudden, you know, the the, the eye doctor called to the said immediately called to the surgeon and I had to go the same day. So like, mm. that doesn't sound right. And yeah. so I had two retinal detachments, which was really oh crazy. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. And then I I I, I so yeah, the, the, the job fell through I couldn't go to do the, I couldn't join the Ultimate Fighter. You know, it was all a bit shitty because that was the season where I used to train with uh, Ronda Rousey for a few months. And it was like the champion of the UFC. Yeah. Certain yeah. So I trained with her before she went into the UFC. I trained with her uh, for um, the first strike force fight. And so she was the captain. So it was going to be okay, you know, yeah. and a real good strike. But yeah, so that collapsed. And then, yeah. And then I did, I started doing some Muay again to get back into the game. But then I detached them a few more times. And so in total, I had seven surgeries on my eyes. So in a certain moment, you know, wow, I had to stop. Yeah. And how was that for you to, you know, be identified as somebody who was a really big, like really big, lack of a better word, maybe, but really big, like idol celebrity in this industry and then being told that you it's like I'm sure it was like either your eyesight or keep fighting how was that for you to navigate and go through that identity death well you know actually I kept on fighting and my it's my trainer who said Nico I used to be able to take all punches that went away also in certain moments just because I was not paying enough attention to my body. Yeah. I believed in Rocky. No matter how hard you get hit, you keep on going forward. Yeah. So I yeah. over I was overtraining all the time, was mm. fighting hard all the time. Like rough as can be, but you know, my mind was strong, my heart was strong, but my body refused. And so he said, I can't do this anymore. Wow. And so yeah, my my, my my world collapsed. Like it's it was I sacrificed my academic career. I sacrificed some very beautiful loves that are still in my heart, but you know like 
I want to go to the States and I want to make it in MMA. Mm -hmm. And so I started working with people, uh, with a few few world champions in Formula 2 and then I helped somebody in a, with their mindset to, to, to become a Jiu-Jitsu world champion. And then slowly but surely I started working more with executives around burnout. Mm. And I saw the same pattern coming back time and time again. How did you that, make that? I'm curious. What was that shift for you? Like, how did you get into coaching or um, business in uh, after getting out of uh, MMA? Well, you know, like I was a pro fighter, so that's all I did. Fighting and teaching some people. And then at the side, but, I, but I'm a nerd. So as a pro athlete, you get paid to, to rest. So most right. people just do play video games. And I was just studying all the time. Ah. So I had like, I think 10 years of continuous of one to two bucks a week, you know, wow. quite fast. So it's like an entire library in my head. Yeah. And I, and before I worked with a few athletes that couldn't afford a, a psychologist. And so we did an exchange, you know, they taught me jiu-jitsu and I thought I, I yeah. got there mentally. So I already was doing that before for the, for the love of it. And then, so yeah, then I, I was like, yeah, I, I can't just you know, be a band. So, so then I, I started my own company and, uh, but, but to be honest, like I was living a half-lived life. I didn't feel alive. I didn't feel spies. I, I was really bored. And so I went to the party, I went to party really hard, you know, uh, as we all did, yeah. I think at one moment in our life, <laughs> I think we can all attest to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it was that. And then, it seemed as if I was attracted to women that were really challenged. It was a real shift in the kind of women I was attracted to. And I think it has a bit to do with like, I, I missed the subconsciously, the, I missed the, 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 the live or die, you know, win or die mm -hmm. mentality. And you were like so chasing that in your life to like fulfill yeah. that void. Yeah. 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 And so then, uh, so I was looking, uh, and at a certain moment, I heard of a friend. She had a friend that went to an ayahuasca ceremony in Belgium. What? Because I read about it I, when I was still fighting. I found it so interesting, you know, but as a fighter, I was like, you know, I did well for myself, but it was not very highly paid. I just did it for the experience, you know. And so I could not afford to go to Peru to mm -hmm. specialize things. So I was really happy. So I did it. I took one little cup and she... She did a number on me. <laughs> I want to pause there too, because um, so many things in your story that are just so like, aha. Yeah. And, and I think like as a high performer, as a high achiever, you know, in a lot of us that are listening to this podcast, what have our own businesses or like we're striving to shift our dramatically shift our reality. And so I think there's like a big note here to, to really double down on is like a lot of the times when we are moving from one identity to the other, whether that is corporate to entrepreneurship or um, being recognized in like a major sport to then, you know, having to take a step back and be like, I can't do this anymore. This has been my whole life. And now I have to pivot and shift. And we come back to this question of who actually are we? Who are we really? And I would love to kind of like dive deeper into that before we get into the ceremonial aspect Absolutely. and like what kind of pivoted you and shifted you. Um, but what, what was that for you? Like that moment? Cause you mentioned a little bit of, and of course, like as a psychologist, you know, all this stuff, but 
what was it for you when you started to realize things needed to shift? Because you mentioned after you got out of fighting, you were kind of like parting a lot. You were having relationships that weren't really fulfilling your needs and desires. I mean, they were filling the subconscious desires, but what was that moment for you when you, or was there a moment where you were like, who actually am I? And when Aya kind of came in or ayahuasca and plant medicine kind of opened its door to you, um, where were you in that moment? Well, you know, I was just, until that moment that my, that it all collapsed, I had to give up. My life had purpose. I knew very well who I was. I always have known what I liked. I liked psychology. I liked everything about erotic enrichment. I liked fighting. And I liked music, you know, dancing. Not modern dancing, but that came later. But that were my four main pillars. I loved those things with all my heart. And so when I love something, I go for it. Mm. In that moment, like, you know, working with people, I liked it. But it's not like a lady. I didn't feel the same fulfillment. It was not like Mm. I was excited when I was thinking about it. I was excited when I saw the transformations of people. Don't get me wrong. That was a lot. But it was not as exciting as standing in front of a crowd of thousands of people knowing that one of you two or you're going to try at least to make sure that one of you two is not going to stand up Mm -hmm. in the beginning. So what do you feel like in that moment you not in the moment in the ring, but when you were, you know, thinking about all these things that were like a big pillar of your life. And when you started to maybe have some not so great behaviors, what do you feel like Mm -hmm. you were chasing? Aliveness. Mm, Aliveness. And you felt like when, when ayahuasca kind of presented herself, it was more of like, I want to find my, do you feel that it was, the desire of like doing something that was like taboo and doing something that was like unknown. It was like, Ooh, aliveness there. Or was it like, I want to move through the sacred medicine ceremony to find more of like, find my spark again. Well, I, I was very scientific, so it wasn't spiritual at all. Oh, okay. Okay. I mean, like in the traditional sense. Right. Right. You know, it's, it's a, I was not praying or something. I just like when I was fighting, I was visualizing automatically. I, you know, I just lived a full lived life. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to think about it. It was like I felt really alive. It's just, you know, it's like I didn't need meditation to be focused. Yeah. Everything yeah. was just there. Yeah. Uh, and, but, I, but then after my career ended prematurely, like I didn't become the, the multiple world champion that I knew that I had the capability to have been. Mm-hmm. And actually, it was a realization, you know, that 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 made me into coaching. That that is literally my unbreakable rocky mindset is literally what killed my potential. Mm-hmm. And I see it a lot in athletes, but I see it also in in entrepreneurs, in executives that get to the subtop by force, by grinding. But then they want to get to the next level, and they can't doing it in the same way. Yeah. Because you only have that much energy, that much time. Yeah. And so that you so that's and so I realized that I destroyed my body. Mm. And I still think about it. I still miss it, to be honest. You know, like yeah. the, for for f- at least six years I couldn't see fights. Wow. I was bombing too much. Yeah. Wow. But okay. So then uh 
And then, yeah, and ayahuasca was just annoying. I heard it and I said, I'm going to do that. My best decisions in my life were always like that. I did a few decisions with my like my conscious processing power and they were the dumbest mistakes of mine. Yeah, I'll, right. I'll them. <laughs> like I, I chose to do uh, organizational psychology and then afterwards I was like, no way, I'm going to do this. Now it's more interesting at this moment, but back then it was just not, not very interesting. Yeah. Then I, I decided to go to uh, follow my brain, go to Holland instead of Thailand. Second biggest decision. What did you do? I, I had the choice to go to a Dutch team or back to Thailand. And Thailand oh. was where my hand or heart was. But in Holland, it was much more promised for big money in Japan. Mm. So it was the brain. It is, I didn't follow my heart. Done. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, like breaking up with uh, Mika, there was a girl that was so deep in my heart and you know, I it, it, I think it was also too too early. I was not ready for that kind of love. It was so, mm-hmm. uh, but then also, you know, I, I knew she really wanted to go to Australia because she's been there before and she's living there now. And I wanted to go to the states, so that's one of the reasons that I decided cognitively to break it. But I was broken. It did broke me really. Mm. Uh, yeah. So 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 yeah. Like after after that, I decided okay, you know what. I am just going to follow my heart. If, if something feels right, I'm going to do it. Yeah. That's what I did. So I went through it. Uh, I think one cup. I, I fasted for three, four days before my heart. I like things. Oh my gosh, easy. fasting? Usually they have a diet, but you fasted. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Like three days. And then, uh, well, and then all of a sudden, and I want to feel powerful again. That was my intention. Mm-hmm. I want to feel powerful again. Not like a loser. I felt like a loser. On a very mm. base level, you know, like yeah, yeah, I failed my mission. I failed my potential, both in finding, but also in the academic sense. I gave that up because of the finding. So I felt like a double loser, mm. and then a triple loser, and then the girl, the, the yeah. relationships. It was like a was. triple so whammy, one. yeah. And you were like, I need something to get me out of this, yeah. Yeah, and so she, uh, she took her giant hands, took me by the hairs, pushed me in a pile of shit. I can't tell it's hard. I had to puke and I just, but I just accepted everything. So I didn't really have to puke. It was, I had to puke and then it went away because I accepted it. Oh, I have to mm. puke. It's really interesting. And then I shrunk. I could see myself shrink. And I, and I looked like a white Ethiopian. I don't know if you know those, those images of back in the day, the Great Famine. Yeah. They're like these little children that are yes. dying. They have like the, 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 the swollen the back, little belly, yeah. but first. Yeah. So that's what I was doing. I was shaking, crying, uh, at two, three hours a week. Mm. And then the shaman was like, "This is first time. I think he needs a bit of help." So he came and he started to praying, uh, blow tobacco over me. There were three people around me that were singing, and all of a sudden, my chest started to grow. I got hair everywhere, and I I started to change into a gorilla. It was fantastic. Oh, and so I was standing, I was standing there like my feet like this, like a real gorilla. Oh my god! People, people around me were laughing so hard because they were much more experienced, you know. And I was like doing this, and I could feel and see the earth shake. Mm. But then the big hand was there, and back to that that little Ethiopian type of you know that famine child, yeah. and it went between those two with like titration of those two things. 
and it was crazy. And then so so the next day, I I, I had to teach Mutai. So I was also not so smart. So I had to race with the train home. And then I taught Mutai. And then the next day, I uh, I was I went to this organization to rent a place. So I, because I was renting a house, a gym, and a private practice, so it cost me like seventeen hundred euros every month just pure mm. rent, which is ridiculous. Yeah. And so. So we have like these organizations that are there to help uh, uh, buildings to not have squatters, anti-squatters. So you can rent it out uh, for really cheap, like for 150 euros or something. Mm. But then the, the, the catch is if it's sold, it's mostly when it's, it's for sale or when the project is approved, you need to get out within a month. But yeah, it's really flexible. So I was looking through some things and all of a sudden I saw a castle. I'm not kidding. A castle with little towers, with like a dish around, with like a little bridge. And yeah, so I, I, I called a friend of me that I knew he wanted to go more in, uh, entrepreneurial. And so we opened the gym in there. We opened wow. the gym and uh, then I had a relaxation room. So I lived there too. <laughs> so it, it, it was fantastic for, for, for five, five, five months. It changed my life. It was I fell back. Do you feel like then, the, do you feel like ayahuasca gave you more of that like provision of that's what you were meant to do? Yeah. Mm. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And then I got like a message of somebody that I used to train with uh in in in, in New York. And I knew he was in Bali and I knew he didn't need to say nothing. I knew he was gonna ask me to be his trainer. And I knew in that moment that moment, okay, I have to go. So I called my my business partner, he said, yeah, Nico, that's a dream. You have to do that. You have to take this opportunity. So he bought the company from me. And then, uh, yeah. And then I was to Bali for the next chapter. It was really interesting. Wow. So I want to, I want to dive a little bit deeper into, um, just since we like kind of opened that door into plant medicine. And for those of you that have listened to my podcast, I I've, I have talked about ayahuasca to some degree. I've talked about psilocybin or magic mushrooms quite a bit. Um, but, but ayahuasca is, you know, the grandmother of all plant medicine and not going to go into depth about that, but just, it is a, it is a part of the plant medicine ceremony, um, ceremony, plant, more, plant medicine family. And it does have psychedelic properties that can help you access different parts of your brain. Um, but Nico, could you share a little bit about, um, could you share a little bit about, um, you mentioned that it wasn't a spiritual experience for you. You went into it like full blown, just like from the science base. What apart? What about the science aspect of ayahuasca felt intriguing to you? Just like on a really high level. Well, how how it's triggered to to make so much new neural patterns, like old fixed patterns that are stuck, you know, that we don't see yet. It just pulls them open. It it gives all the things that you that you experience that are very, very painful that you tend to avoid automatically, you know, because you think you can't handle them. They just pull them on and gives them a face. It's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and mush and psilocybin is the same way, but maybe yes. different in like the way that it's maybe digested or how it operates yeah. um, in the body. Um, but for you, you know, what, what do you feel like when you were going in there and you mentioned that you wanted to like kind of find that aliveness, you wanted to find that power again, how do you feel like altered states of consciousness utilizing plant medicine can help anyone 
find more of their power, find more of their purpose and help them um, find more fulfillment? I think it clears a little bit of the prefrontal cortex. I think it's like it shuts up the, the critical part, and it's 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 almost like I, I compare it with hypnosis when I because I do a lot, a lot of hypnosis with some of my clients, not all of them, but some of them. And if you're really suggestible, you get into such an altered state whereby your critical factory is shut up. Mm. And so you can install all kind of new things. So if you go into a plant medicine without an intention, you know, you, you can have a beautiful experience or not, but you know, like it, it, it it's suboptimal. Mm. Although the plants, the plant very often knows what you need. So, you know, you might think, oh, it's going to have some fun. Then. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, then you're so like blown fun. with some trauma that comes up. Yeah. 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 But yeah, so, so that's the thing. I, I think it can loosen some 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 stuck neural patterns in your brain. It can it can like make it loose and, and create new connections that can then be developed further. Yeah, so I, I love plant medicine, but I I really believe that you need ample time to integrate. And I see oh some people yeah. are going in. Like every two weeks, every three weeks, and you know, I, I'm not judging, but some that that sounds to me as as uh, sitting with Madi optimally, if you're not ashamed, because it's a different thing. Absolutely, and I think that's another thing to just like harp on too is that I think everybody intuitively will utilize the medicine as they feel called because I don't think it's for the weak-hearted. Because I I have I have yet to experience Aya, but I've done a few deep psilocybin ceremonies and I've come out the other end, like what the fuck did I just move through? Um, but integration is so important. And I, and I do, I think I have a little, I don't want to say concern because I want to like utilize, like everyone is, you know, on their own path and whatever they feel called to, but I have a few friends that are doing that have, um, drank ayahuasca like every month for like six months. And I, it's like, it's really hard for me to grasp that concept because again, what you're sharing of like the integration part. However, I have spoke with some people and like, they share that like she works through me and that's how I actually am integrating. So, but yeah, coming back to, um, for me, it's like utilizing these plants as like a little like quantum leap in a way. And it's like, okay, we're here. You've, you've accessed all these different parts of yourself. You've seen these different parts. Okay. Now how do we process and integrate? Like my, my last ceremony from this month or from this year was a year ago because I felt like I needed more time to process and things like that. So I, I, I agree with you. These medicines can be so powerful because they do create those new neuropathways. Like they really like, I love what you said. They put a face to the fears and you get to work through yeah. them and being in the right setting with the right people with the right intention can really amplify your healing process. And to me can really quantum leap you into your next level of yourself. Mm -hmm. However, having the opportunity to make sure that you're doing your own inner work alongside of that is going to be really, really helpful. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, like, again, there's no judgment, like some people might need it, might need so much. And I know like a lot of indigenous tribes, use it quite a lot yeah so it, it's you know so I, I i have zero judgment like just think that sometimes so something it's not the what it's not the the quantity it's the why mm, yeah 
When I was in Bali, I met a lot of people that were stuck in what I call the spiritual rat race. They come mm. from one to the other thing and then they're just stuck. They are yeah. still looking for something outside of themselves all the time. Yeah. When I do that, then I will do it. When I do that, then I will do it. Even people that, that are very famous that are really advanced, uh, when I hear really talk about them, I can feel it. I can feel that they are not really there. Mm-hmm. It's a persona they build up. A big spiritual ego that that tries to hide that inside they do not connect that deeply with those things yeah yeah totally spiritual bypassing you know in that regard where it's like you're not i feel like spirit will always give you what you need versus what you want but it's how you're actually processing and utilizing it and if you're constantly going into these spiritual realms if you will you're not actually doing your own work you're like you're avoiding it in my opinion and um there's something to definitely look around with people you're surrounding yourself with and things of that sort and always again like you said trust your heart because the logical brain doesn't know it doesn't know what the body knows and so when Mm -hmm. we can start to really live through our heart i say heart's desires um then i think that we really start to stay deeper in integrity with ourselves um Mm -hmm. so yeah i definitely resonate and so Okay, so coming back to your story, you moved to Bali, and and then what happened? So I was teaching uh, at the MMA gym, right? so I helped uh, Tiffany Vasus, is like key boxing world champion, helped to get her like 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 her biggest title until that moment. I mean, it was easy to train her. I was, it was just little little tweaks here and there. She's an absolute top athlete. Everybody can work with her, you know, if if she they have a bit of uh, so it's more her than me. But it was a privilege. But then after a year, I, yeah, I felt this was not it. And then I met some people that were doing online work. And so I decided to go that route. Mm, okay, so you started to work online, I'm assuming with entrepreneurs is what you were kind of diving yeah. in. Yes, yes. yes. And so, Mostly with online entrepreneurs. And so you've mentioned a few times in the podcast that um, – you were working with people with burnout and how entrepreneurs kind of really um, they want to achieve this next level of themselves, but they can't because they're kind of stuck at where they're at. And I would love to just like segue into that and how we can move into our next level, because I think the work that I've been doing within my own self and um, the women primarily I've been working with and also now men is that we 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 are we're so ambitious. We're so we're such high achievers and we want to keep hitting that next level and grow grow grow. But I think the caveat that we miss is that all these other things that get to ha- that have to happen in order to reach that next level. Like maybe I want to hit like a 20k month next month, but that means I'm going to have to take more clients, I'm going to have to get on more sales calls, this 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 and this and then subconsciously I self sabotage. And so I I find that a lot happening in other entrepreneurs that I've been working with is that we want all these things, but we're not necessarily like, uh, like we're not unconsciously ready for them. And so I think burnout is kind of the same regard in regarding to like that next level. Could you speak a little bit on what you find there, especially like as a psychologist and working like daily with these people? What is that for us that we just it's challenging to get to that next level? Well, you have ambition and you have running away. Running away, you said? Yes. Mm. So many people live their lives not based on what they truly value, but based on roots. 
that they think are their values. Right. I'm ambitious. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a real killer. I am super hardworking. So they have all those the sub-definitions to their identity that is internalized from their outside world. Mm. I have that Ferrari. I have that nice villa. I have that penthouse with you on Central Park. Oh, I gonna now I'm gonna go for my my private plane. I can tell you that many of them, not all of them, but many of them are really really unhappy because they have it all and now what? Mm-hmm. Mm. Still feel like shit. When I look in the mirror, I don't see the person that everybody looks up to. Mm. If they would know who I would really be. Mm. So it's it's again like like in the spiritual reference, it's a way of working. There's a reason that you work eight to a hundred hours a week. Mm. And what I've seen a pattern that that recurs is for sure with very successful women, which I love to work with, is uh, a lack of relationship. Mm. And then they say, oh, men are with others. A man. Yes. Okay. And also themselves, of course. You know, like that. So certain moment, very often it's people with an avoidant attachment style. Yeah. They learn a certain moment I can depend on nobody else but me. Yep. I will validate myself. The problem yep. is it's still a need for validation. And if you have a need for validation, it means it validates only one thing that you do not believe it, that you're worthy. Mm. You need to prove it to yourself. Mm. And whether you have to prove it to yourself or to other people, it's the same thing. Mm. Mm. So that's why you see really... some, some keep going. Some no, women that are really keep going. Go no, I was gonna say, like I, I've resonated with that because I've been such an ambitious, hardworking woman. I learned that from my mom, like independent as hell. Um, I mean, I'm a single um I'm an only child and I moved from my small town in Ohio to Los Angeles. Everyone was like, how can you leave your mom? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I just got to go. My mom was like, go, mm. you know? So I had the most support, but um, yeah, it's like that. I think, especially for women, it's like we, and I don't think it's a bad thing, but it's also something to just recognize is that, yeah, like we're career first right now. Like our generation as millennials, like we are career first. And I think that there's like this underlying um pull of that if we don't do it then who else is going to do it because we're getting we're so we we are consciously aware we live in a patriarchy and i think as women that are ambitious are career driven want to make impact in the world we're like okay well i need to prove to myself that i don't need that i don't need a man to take care of me i don't need anyone else ex- except myself but i love what you're pointing out is this this validation in that we actually are still seeking the validation from some source. And it's like, I've been in that place where I'm constantly pushing myself and burning myself out because of this validation that I can do it, but I'm still like burning myself out and trying to fulfill that void that never was fulfilled. So so I, I gotta push back a bit. Some people might want to cancel me. I do not believe that it's the story, what they say is pure patriarchy. But I believe there is a natural specialization that happened mm. when we need were in survival mode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what happened is, for example, when you look to, to our cousins, the chimps, they live in a kill or be killed world. There's a lot of natural predators, a lot of violent other groups, and there's a little food, so they have to travel a long way. So the men are violent. There's a very strict hierarchy. The top one on top gets it all. 
yeah. and women have nothing to say, but they they take care of the children. Yeah. But then you look to, for example, the bonobos. They are just as close as cousins. They're the women rule. Why they live in a very safe environment? There's almost no natural predators. Mm. There's an abundance of food, and so in that place, it is not needed for them. And the men are, are still stronger and bigger, but much less, much less aggressive. Aggressiveness would get get punished in the society there, and they have a lot of sex. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I... as I see similarities. So now we in the West we live in a pretty safe, healthy environment, and now there's space for women to do it. But when you live, for example, in Afghanistan, you need to have a man that is ready to die. Mm-hmm. So and and also that's one thing. So we have these basic biological structures inside of us, these predispositions. I don't say that women can't do what men can do. Very often they can do it much better because they have a brain that is made to integrate much more things. Because when you have a child and you're looking for food, when you have a child here, you have to be aware of so much more things. You can integrate much more. Women are much better generals, I believe. Because, except one thing, decisions. But, you know, that's just... Mm, you know? <laughs> we won't get into that. <laughs> exactly. But but that's, that's what I see. And so what I also believe is that, you know, the traditional generals, I don't have that much of a problem with it. If it's a choice. So for me, yeah. to me, I'm a real feminist. To me, the the, the extreme feminists are not feminists mm-hmm. because the feminine trait that is natural for a feminine woman gets scolded. If you choose to be a stay-at-home mom, they look down on you. No, it is yeah. the most wonderful, powerful thing you can do. It's literally what makes new people unfucked up. Yeah. Now, I don't say that when you do it. What I say is, Instead of a should, we need to go to a choose environment. Absolutely. And I think that there's something to say. There's so much to say there because um, as women, we are kind of placed in these like gender roles sometimes. And I think that uh, to be, in my opinion, I think we are unconsciously still trying to um, prove ourselves that we don't have to be in these gender roles. And I, I notice a lot of like, our generation and the gen the gen zers are coming through with this more um self identity of of feeling more um inclusive and feeling more heard seen and valued and i think that a lot of the conventional ways that we're living don't necessarily fully align with that and i mean we can even talk about non non uh non traditional relationships polyamory and uh ethical non monogamy in that regard too and i think for women we're still trying to fight that internal i not even internal this like ancestral like generational pattern of of how we think we should be and it's like even still like i'm 31 years old and i still had that thought of like oh my gosh do i want to start over after my breakup i had like six months ago i'm 30 when am i gonna have kids blah 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 fighting against my clock right and so i think it can really um affect the way that we truly as an individual want to live and be in relationship yeah but it's very challenging because there's a I, I think we forget that we are humans and that we have certain biological needs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like then I know many women that say, oh, I'm very, they're very successful. And then say, ah, men are intimidated by me. That might be some men, but not the men you want. 
yeah. many motor not attracted to you. It's very hard when I say that. I can see it. And sometimes tears come, you know, because I understand that, that it's the truth. Because they've put up this persona. They know that when you're there in this, they're not really true to, not everybody, of course, luckily, they're not really true to themselves. Mm-hmm. Because they, they, what they did, they adapted to that fail, a very competitive, driven, masculine way of industry. Yeah. Instead of transforming the industry, because well, that's what I think where the glass ceiling will be broken. Mm. The glass ceiling, in my eyes, I mean, there is there, there is discrimination, don't get me wrong, I've seen a few things, but the real discrimination is systemic. Mm-hmm. And it's not because women don't get the chance, it's because women are not so fucking stupid to sacrifice their life for their work. Most women. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, where so do you- if you want... So I believe that if you want to break the glass ceiling, you need to create a different structure where you can be at the top of the game, you can be the general, and you don't have to kill yourself Yeah. in the yeah. process. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, this hustle culture or um, soft culture or grinding all these different like labels and things that we share about um, about ourselves. It's like we we started to praise ourselves for being hustling and grinding and now we're like kind of shifting into more of like let's not go to burnout it's not normal blah 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 but I think like specifically as entrepreneurs it's a little challenging because you're like well if I want my business to grow then how do I do it without grinding it out I mean there are days where it's like Mm -hmm. I'm so passionate lit up about something that I'm up until 12 p.m 12 a.m I'm not normally doing that but I think it's like that brain my brain's like this is bad. This is wrong. Am I going to do this forever? And then it's like, you're kind of in this like stuck time warp in a way of like, what is it, what feels good for me? And what, when do I know when to pull back? When do I need to go forward? And that is, I think, challenging when we're trying to reach that next level of success, of money, of clients, et cetera. So so for me, it's not the what, it's the how. Mm. I have many 12, 12, 14 hour days. I'm playing. I love it as a game. Mm-hmm. It's different. So there's a there's a difference in, uh, and that's also my personality. I have to work three, four weeks like a maniac. People say, what the fuck? And then I have to do nothing for three, four weeks. Or barely anything. And that's just how I work. It's, yeah. I think it's from the years of fighting, preparing like a mother, like a thing, and then relax, recuperate afterwards. So... I do not say that people need to work less. No, that, that's not what I say. I need I say people need to become more aware of what gets results. Mm, and and then do more of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing. The other thing is also, you know, I model my coaching to top athletes. Top athletes cannot perform up to their level when they are exhausted. Mm-hmm. So many people look up to how's he called again? It's a guy that's uh, doing death marathons many times. He's an ex Navy SEAL. I love him. He's like just keep going. And on the mental space, he, he is an absolute top, 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 top athlete because he's running death marathons and his knees are just broken. Mm. I, I really have so much respect for this guy. But the problem is, if you want to perform to your up to your level. You know, you you can take part of it, but then you will not be top world class. Yeah. Mm. So it, it's a fine line 
because also I also believe that a lot of the, the society is much too soft at the moment. If you can't say your truth, if you have to edit everything, if a word is considered violence, that to me is a big problem. Because in that moment, people are going to shut up about it. And when people shut up about it, things start to pervert. Yeah, You can't generate new new insights. So for me, what I believe is that as a society, we have become what I call a wussy society. Mm. Mm. You have to take care of my needs. No, mm. you reverse it. So mm. what I would like to, to see in the people. So in companies, they talk about psychological safety. You know a bit about that? Yes. Yeah, well... But they, they talk about the company needs to create it. Hey, you yes. need to feel first, first level. You need to feel like you belong, that you accepted as a person. You need to be able to make mistakes and learn. You need to be able to bring your own contribution. And then, and that's the interesting part, but almost nobody talks about. It, you need to be safe enough to challenge the status quo. Yeah. But in order to do that, they say, oh, the company has to do it. And yes, we're social animals, so there's a big truth to it. But what I believe is the next level is internal psychological safety, mm-hmm. whereby you can stay connected with other people that have perhaps in your eyes very offensive ideas and say things to you that really make your emotions and your heart watch. You almost want to go to war. But you were able to not take it personally, to Take everything they say and ask questions and stay connected with the fact that you're both human beings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you and never heard about that. Like it's no. no reaction. Well, it's like it's it's nervous system regulation. It's emotional resiliency. It's it's safety in your own body. And you know, there's so much to harp on that. But I I think like especially as corporations, yes, I do think that they could take more measures to make to make it more inclusive and kind of really acknowledge like mental health, like to that fucking degree. However, yes, I think more people need resources and learning how to be their own advocate in regards to feeling more emotional resiliency and finding safety in their nervous system. Um, It's like, you know, truth be told, we can't make everyone want to have the same reactions that we want to have that them have. And so it's like, well, we can't I, yeah i love the i love the point that you're that you're bringing because i think that we as self advocates to a degree expect a certain level of reciprocity and we can't always receive that so what do we get to do that's our own work that we get to do in ourselves to create more safety and resiliency and i talk about nervous system regulation so much when when it goes into entrepreneurship and working with people and moving into the next level whether that's like receiving more money receiving more clients um or having hard conversations with your partner it's you have to come back to your own regulation and figure out the triggers within yourself in order to achieve that next level and i I've seen that firsthand in myself being able to receive more money. It's like I would push it away because it didn't feel safe. It's like good things can also not feel safe in our system. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. yeah, like such a beautiful point that you're bringing up in regards to like achieving that next level of success. hundred percent. That's why I always say a committed intimate relationship is the fast track for personal growth. The fast yeah. track. Oh yeah. Because if you can face the love of your life, while she's pressing or he's pressuring you to compromise yourself. Mm-hmm. And you dare to say no, but you stay in contact with each other, that's something else. Because we have this, like very often, 
we, we have the idea intimacy is this. I, I suppose you're wine or do you, what do you like to drink? <laughs> what do I, oh, uh, like alcohol? Yeah, or, or something else. I don't care. Um, wine. We'll go with red wine. Well, you have red wine and beer. I say, oh, we, we suppose we meet each other and we're so attracted to each other. So what happens is, ah, I'm going to do a bit of wine with my beer. How do you do some beer with your wine? Until you're a mixture that nobody wants to drink because you're practically making love to yourself. Mm. And you lost connection with yourself. You feel you're here. You come to the crossroads where you feel that you have to choose between yourself and your relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what most people do then, they rip apart, but they're hurting deeply because they, they're so intertwined. They didn't realize until they ripped apart. So then they look for the next one and then the same thing happens again. Yeah, yeah. Or like back in the day where you couldn't separate, they just stay and live next to each other. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. super active. Or you, one of the, the two learns to stand on their own two feet. That's very scary. Because when you both stand on your own two feet, your partner can walk away. They don't need you anymore. Yeah. But the nice thing is, when they don't need you anymore, then they can choose you. Then they are attracted to you. In that moment, that becomes the key component for long-term desire and, and, and passion. Want to not need. Yeah, it's like you have this space. Yeah. This space to bridge. You yeah. can walk away. And she or he can walk away, but Oh, we stay here in the, the pressure cooker that is the relationship yeah. and when you dare to stay in there and stay on your two feet then something else can then you can grow together but that's rare that's really hard it's the same as, as in the bedroom like if many men have problems with, with premature ejaculation you know and that's because they have the inability to stay present and relax into extreme pleasure mm-hmm mm-hmm so women have a similar thing. They go to clitoral organs. And, oh, good night. Thank you. Like mutual <laughs> masturbation. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. 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 But then if you can go into that more tantric world, in the where, where it's not, for me, it's not the real woo-woo stuff. No, it's simple. You look each other in the eyes, you enter each other, and you don't move, you just feel each other. And you move just enough to stay, to, to be able to salute, you know, and you kiss each other and you look each other and you breathe together. And very slowly, after 10, 15, 20 minutes, slowly a little bit more movement. What happens is your body will relax, your nervous system relaxes, starts to be really in tune, your heartbeat goes the same, your breathing goes the same, your pelvic floor relaxes, the vaginal walls start to collapse. So every micro movement becomes so much more delightful. Mm. So I call bare bones time. You don't have to do all the crazy no, it's just that, just that. Soaking pleasure, you know, and then and then, but but when you're able to do that, when you're able to stay, keep your cool, your mind cool, while your body is completely activated, pure ecstasy. Oh, if you can do it there, you can do it in the ring when you fight an opponent. You can do it when you face a corporate board. You can do it when you know the taxman tries to rip you off. So we don't necessarily need to build our resilience in very intense things. I mean, yeah, there are two ice parts, intense training, breath work, uh, uh, psychopharmacology, you know, but also pleasure. People mm-hmm. forget this. Yeah. And so I believe that's why my company is called Perform with Pleasure. Because to me, you have to make pleasure a priority. And people think, yeah, but that's a waste of my life. No, 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 you, you, you're mistaken. There's a difference between pleasure and entertainment. Because pleasure is everything, 
that fills up your cup. After you've done it, even if it's drinking and having a hangover, the day afterwards, you feel fulfilled. You feel, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Entertainment is something completely different. It can be exactly the same. It can be go drinking with your friends. It can be looking, binge watching Netflix. The problem is it empties your cup. Afterwards, you feel empty. You feel, what did I do? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's something to distract you from life. While pleasure is something that engages you more fully in life, that pulls you into life. And that is very often very intense. That's why a fight can be pleasure. Mm. Because in that moment, you become so authentic. In that moment, you're so <laughs> real. That's why many, I believe that, that in more Latin cultures, they fight much more and they have much more passion and much more sex. Why is that? It's not because of the fighting. It's because the fighting is a, is a, is a, is a signal that they both realize they're two individuals that choose to be together. Mm. Mm. that's a really powerful way to think about how pleasure can of course like after ecstasy after like an incredible intimate moment you feel full of life and creativity at least I do um and I can see that but like the the deeper root of really acknowledging that if we can drop into our pleasure with whatever that we're doing and really be present with it, it can translate into more of those chaotic situations where we need, like I'm a breathwork facilitator too. And I always tell my my students that if you can, because at first, like the breathwork I teach is also like we're tapping into sympathetic, which can actually at, um, activate a um, panic attack if you have a Absolutely. history of that. And so Absolutely. when you're able to, you know, be in a safe container, like you shared, regulate the nervous system, be okay with all the sensations and feelings and get into those obviously deeper states that we're achieving. But after that, you know, I have students coming up to being like, oh my God, my body, this, that, I felt anxiety, but I moved through it and I'm power, I feel power and this and that and the other. And I'm like, okay, take that and translate that into other stressful situations. So I feel like there's a resonance there of like, applying feeling safe in the body to feel pleasure and also acknowledging like more pleasure more fulfillment in in business or creativity and and career. So that was a really mm-hmm. powerful connection there that you just yeah. spoke to. It's like just before when I was talking about the guy that's dead marathons, it's David Goggins. But the thing is, I like him. Why? Because he has pleasure in suffering. Literally. Yeah. His pleasure in the fact that he hates what he's gonna run because he's gonna have hurt. But he has pleasure, real pleasure in overcoming those mental blockages. And so in that way, he is a hero that everybody can emulate. I wouldn't recommend it because if you want to be an elite person, you have to have that. But you know you want to be a bit more wholesome so your body is not destroyed. So you don't, mm-hmm. if you, you know, don't want to be an influencer like that. That's yeah. Something else. So Nico, but, what would you... Yeah you know, from all this conversation, and we've talked about so many different points, plant medicine, to fulfillment, to pleasure, um, to your own um, hardships and pushing you farther into um, your path and purpose. I feel like the biggest, um, biggest theme here was uh, fulfillment and um, resiliency, and staying in your path to um, as an ambitious human being. What do you feel like would be like one to two tips you would give our listeners in um, helping helping them really stay aligned on their path with all of this, all these things that we've talked about of, of like 
things that can help, but also things that are just a daily, not reminder, but just like the society that we live in that sometimes can like push us back. First, embrace it all. Hmm. The, the, The main cause of psychological problems and many other problems is avoidance. Mm-hmm. So embrace it all. Try yeah. to relax in the suck. Mm-hmm. Try to relax in all of that. Try to find pleasure in that. A bit like that David Cardinal in this pain, you know? but not to the extreme. I would not recommend it. But like that's one thing. Because when you learn to embrace it all, you can will become less reactive. Mm-hmm. You, then then you you're not so much of a of a of a victim, but you're like an active participant that. Ooh. literally handles whatever it's presented that's the first one and the second one is we are not lone tigers we are wolves we're ambitious but if you want to get a real big change you have to leave a real big impact mm. connect with people that you can trust and rise together mm. Oof. Okay, well, we all need to make sure that we re-listen to that over and over and over again and and really bring that in because that's so valid of just really sitting with all that is, not avoiding, but feeling, being, oof, yeah. Uh, what a beautiful conversation, Nico. Thank you so much for being here. Um, so last question is, where can we connect with you? And is there anything that you're working on that we can get involved with right now? Well, uh at the moment, I, I my website is off because my domain disappeared. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. So you can best contact me on my socials, just Nico Grace, my Instagram or my Facebook or my LinkedIn. Uh, that's our deal. Uh, yeah, I'm working on, on a program from, for traders because I noticed that I've worked with several traders and I see that a lot of them really lose themselves in almost addiction to creating great wealth. And then they forget why. Why do you want money? Well, money is a value exchange material. That's all it is. It's, it represents value. Mm-hmm. And if you literally work all the day away, and you and if you put your work, you are not working, and you're really thinking about everything, you know, but you can't mm-hmm. really be present with the people you love, with the things you like, then you have a problem. So I and so that's what I'm working on right now. Uh, my performance pleasure is for everybody. You know, I, I help three three things that I work on is for your first create intimate relationships that are fulfilling and passionate. That's very key to 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 really, really prevent all burnout. That's the strongest thing. To have very powerful community relationships. Mm. The second thing is indeed, like you say, that that uh, autonomic self regulation. That nervous system regulation, uh, learning how to embrace it all, you know. And then the third thing is you don't have to sacrifice anything; you can mm. have it all. But mm. you have to learn how to plan everything. So you have micro meditations throughout the day. You have a switch ritual. So after your day of work, you have a ritual whereby you just let go of the day and you can come refreshed to the people, to the things that you love, that you enjoy, that the things that and the people that you're doing it for actually yeah so Ooh. well everyone go connect with nico all his links will be in the show notes and again nico thank you so much for honoring us with this beautiful conversation well thank you for the invitation it's a pleasure to talk to you and your uh, your audience mm, what a powerful episode 
coming on here just to lovingly remind you that we now have a question form to fill out so if you would like your question answered or if you would like to hear more specific topics or hear from specific guest experts i'm really inviting you to go to the show notes click the link for the question form and fill out your question it can be completely anonymous this just helps me craft and curate the best conversations with expert leaders and also solo episodes. So again, thank you for your participation, your interaction and listening and supporting this podcast.